The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Hello, everybody. I'm Lou Dobbs, and this is The Great America Show with truth, justice, and the American way every day. Great to have you with us, and here we go. House Speaker McCarthy looking for President Biden to negotiate on federal spending, of which there's far too much, and McCarthy says he'll go along with raising the debt ceiling now and raise it substantially. He'll take it up another $1.5 trillion, which would cover expected government spending through next March. In return, McCarthy says he wants Biden to agree to cut $130 billion of federal spending. That would mean clawing back billions in COVID slush funds, in student loan forgiveness, get rid of market-distorting green energy credits, and repeal that $80 billion to the IRS and the hiring of nearly 90,000 new IRS agents and auditors. We have a deficit and a debt crisis because of Biden's out-of-control spending. This year's deficit approaches $1.5 trillion and will run at least $2 trillion a year for the next decade if spending isn't brought under control. The national debt now is approaching $32 trillion. That means President Biden has watched the national debt rise $10 trillion since he took office. It will have risen 50% in just three years. And the size of our economy, our GDP, just can't keep up. It's now at $26 trillion, and Wall Street is talking recession at the end of this year. It's not good. So we have a crisis, but I'm not sure President Biden will even talk with McCarthy, let alone negotiate on cutting spending. We could have a real mess on our hands come this summer when the debt ceiling must be raised or a likely devastating, unprecedented debt default will occur by the federal government. There is some good news, though. The Biden regime has finally discovered what we've talked about here for a couple of years. They discovered Chinese police stations, seven of them in the United States. Arrests made, but what took so long? That's the real question. And why now? China says those police stations, by the way, are just service centers, And we're repressing their policemen. Oops, I mean helpers. And the House Judiciary has another whistleblower, this time from the IRS, who says there's a reason that it's taken seven years to investigate Hunter Biden's taxes and his obvious crimes contained in his laptop. The whistleblower's attorney says his client witnessed Biden White House interference in the case. What a White House. Now, think about it. We haven't heard anything from that Biden special counsel lately. Who is investigating Biden's classified document scandal? How long should that take? I'm guessing just about seven years at least. The Biden regime, now in damage control, they found the young Air National Guardsman, they say, is the lone leaker. But they're not sure how many documents he actually leaked. And with us today is our friend Russ Tice, former senior National Security Agency intelligence analyst and whistleblower. Russ Tice, 
Russ, great to have you with us. Our weekly conversations always seem to be timely. Two weeks ago when we were talking, the Pentagon admitted that they had a leak. And this week, they say this 21-year-old National Guardsman is the guy. 21 years old, Russ, handling top secret, most secret documents. Your thoughts? Well, he is awfully young. Um, as far as you know, doing an in-depth uh, analysis work, I would doubt that, that he's in that position. I would think that he's more likely some sort of a, a sysadmin uh, paper shuffler to get these, uh, these documents to the right places they need to go. I, I'm not sure whether this was at the just secret level, which, which is a, a system called CIPRNET, or whether this was at the TSSCI level or top secret uh, sensitive compartmented information level, which, would, which is a computer system called JWICS. But uh, the JWIC system, if you get access, is a lot worse than just the Cipernet. And to look at this, these early descriptions, uh, the the gaming uh, crowd that he uh, was hanging around with uh, in in Cyberland, uh, they seem to have a high opinion of him. Uh, young, uh, smart, charismatic. Uh, there nothing that sounded like a description of a well a surly. Uh, uh, leaker uh, who is operating out of some form of malice uh, towards the country or toward the military? Well, it, perhaps there's no political motive here, and he's just trying to impress his friends that, uh, you know, the kind of information that he can, that he has access to, or or perhaps, uh, you know, uh, and, you know, a young lady you might want to date, you know, he's you know, trying to convince her how important you are um, to impress her. Um, but it's um, it sounds like they've they've put the information in the hands of someone who's uh, too immature to to be able to understand uh, the gravity of what's going on. When the the Pentagon uh, is made to look like fools with this uh, this young man uh, putting this material out uh, on the social on social media, and wasn't detected for just about a month. I mean, when we have the level of sophistication and advanced technology that we have available to our intelligence agencies, are you surprised that they wouldn't pick up something like this uh, on the web? Yes, I am. As a matter of fact, NSA has has an office, uh, a cyber office, and it's it's quite well stocked, um, staffed with uh, some of the brightest minds that, you, that we have. We call them web warriors at NSA, and and some of their job is to just go into the web and, and make sure that, you know, these things aren't happening and to do other things in the web too. <clears throat> Excuse me. But, you know, these, this is, this is incredible that, that this could have gone by for, for weeks on end. And they still don't know exactly how this happened. Uh, it's pretty clear, but uh, having found him, uh, how do you suppose they did find him by the way? What, what was involved in your judgment uh, to to go back over uh, his uh, his trail and figure out who it was. Well, first first you got to find out. You know, I would I would go in and do a document search like you would for anything document on the computer, and put in keywords. And I do that in that environment, that dark um, web environment, to to try to pull up all the documents that you think might be associated. Now, once you do that, then you got to find out. All right, you ID the documents. Then you need to find out who had access to those documents. You know where. You know, and that's going to be a lot of folks, probably, especially if it was at the secret net level. 
And then you got to start winnowing it down from that point to, um, to you know, in some places, other places, they might only have some of those documents, but but not all of them. So you start to then you start to, to pin down a location. What location would have had someone had access to that particular lot of information? So then once you pin it down to a location, then you start looking at individuals that had access. Uh, and then you start looking into the backgrounds of those information. But obviously, once this was realized, th- this has been a full court press to, to find this individual. And it looks like they found them quickly, which in that respect is a good thing. But the fact that it, it, it languished for weeks without someone realizing it is concerning. But Fort Bragg is airborne. It's uh, the 82nd Airborne. Uh, it, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's the home of the fighters. And to have this kind of information just floating around there is sort of surprising, uh, surprising in some ways that it's necessary, but uh, but certainly surprising that there isn't a high level of security there. Uh, any thoughts on that? Well, uh, these are special forces uh, units. I think you know we call them snake eaters in in, in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, you know, why would they have access to something like uh, you know Russian hackers into into Canadian, uh, you know, um, uh, natural gas uh, networks and, uh, and pipelines, um, and and a whole lot of this, um, a lot of the political, you know, situations like like uh, Egypt uh, planning to send arms to to Russia secretly, or Serbia, um, you know, wanting to arm um, Kiev, or or you know, all the all these political things. That there's no reason for anyone at Fort Bragg, even a lot of the brass, to have access to that because it's really um, not not a, a need to know issue for them. So, yeah. so in that respect, um, someone needs to go in and and put some filters on this information to make sure that it, 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 it only need to know information goes to the the people that need to know it, and and that you just don't splatter this stuff all over the place, you know. So that it's easy access for anyone who wants to suck it all up. And to think that this is uh, again ten years after uh, Snowden, what in the world are the intelligence agencies and the military doing? Uh, there are be, we're talking about sensitive documents, top secret documents. We're talking now about this. We're talking about papers, sensitive uh, papers on the president's itinerary and travel in Ireland. Uh, it's as if everyone has decided this is nothing more than yesterday's newspaper they're th- uh, throwing around. Uh, it's ridiculous. Well, it sounds like there's an awful lot of indolence involved in this. Um, it's it's so easy just to just not pay attention and just you know move move data from one place to another and and okay uh, you know I don't have to worry about a whole lot of security filters. Um, yes, there's a lot of questions to be to be asked, Lou and. Especially when we've had issues, you know, and um, Mr. Snowden certainly released information that we needed to know, and he was a, a, a viable whistleblower. But I certainly don't think we can put, um, you know, an altruistic whistleblower label on this gentleman. We're talking with Russ Tice, folks, a former NSA senior intelligence analyst and whistleblower. We were talking about what is a whistleblower under the definition of Mr. Tice. Stay with us. We're coming right back after this quick message from our sponsors. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? 
Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. We're back now talking with former NSA intelligence analyst Russ Tice. Russ, before the break, we were talking about the idea of a whistleblower. Just what is a whistleblower as you define it? Well, for me, it's someone... Uh, who knows what's going on is either illegal or or immoral or unconstitutional, and and it's something that the uh, the government should not be involved in, and certainly the people should know that this is going on, and and ultimately their tax dollars are paying for it. So the um, that's a, that's a true whistleblower uh, and someone who's not going to profit off of this, you know. Uh, oh, gee, I'm going to be a whistleblower so I can write that big book and, you know, make a whole bunch of money or, or you know, I'm going to be the whistleblower so I can, you know, get a job at uh, some fancy network being the uh, being the commentator for, you know, for defense or whatever their expertise is. But so it, it's someone who's, who does this um, uh, basically not for self-gain and, and to to let the people know. Unfortunately, for national security whistleblowers, uh, even the FBI and people in the intelligence community, the whistleblower laws do not protect you. Matter of fact, there's a clause right in the in the Whistleblower Protection Act that says it, it, this does not apply to NSA, CIA, FBI, all these agencies. And even the whistleblower, the intelligence community Whistleblower Protection Act requires employees to go to their senior to the senior uh, IG or, or their senior staff to tell them that they have a problem. Now, what, what if that problem, in my case, that problem was literally with the director of NSA, uh, and and the IG didn't even have sec- didn't have security clearances to know what was going on. So it, it it's kind of there is no protection for someone in the intelligence community or the national security world. Um, in other fields, you know, we've had whistleblowers that you know let us know. The tobacco industry was basically, you know, um, narking up the citizens, uh, the cigarettes to to make them, right. you know, a whole lot um, more enticing and that sort of thing. And those are all good things. And, and some of those people, you know, through court cases, they, they make a little money in the process. But in our well, business, and you would think the in- I want to stay with national security intelligence. And in your case, uh, I believe the head of NSA at that point was that Hayden. It was Michael Hayden. Yes. Did you go to Hayden directly? I found out about it, and they then I called the unit where I found out what what initially was uh, domestic spying, and and I realized that this was pretty bad. Then I sort of did a little investigation with people that I knew. You know, I, I had a wide network because I've been involved in so many things in different agencies to find out how bad this was. And then then they told me it's not just your satellite stuff, Russ. This is everything, everything domestically. 
Well, one of those so calls I made on context. a secure line. But give everybody the context, the year, what was happening, and what you found that was so troubling. Well, the year would have this would have been the, the 2002, 2003 time frame, and we were gearing up for the operations that were about to happen in Iraq. Now, now let me tell you, we knew we were going to war in Iraq. All those things about, uh, you know, we need to find out weapons of mass destruction, that was all nonsense. I was read into the, to the war planning in early July of, of, of 02, and it was well underway when I got read in. But, but anyhow, my job was to integrate my special access program satellite stuff into the, into the plan, the war plan, and determine where, I, where my support would be needed into all this. And, and what sort of special operations were going to be involved or likely be involved where, where I would be, um, you know, a key player. So in the, in the process of doing that, I had to contact, uh, you know, certain places to get information for an operation that I was gearing up for, for potential conflict, which we all knew was coming at that point. So right. it was in that context when I, I contacted another unit when I initially found out that, uh, that they were spying on, at that point, they were going after like Colin Powell, uh, the, jo the Joint Chiefs of Staff, um, uh, General Shiseki. Um, they, they were going after um, a whole lot of uh, you know high level uh, of our own people. They you're were, saying you know, they were running. You're saying they're running surveillance on the general staff of the U.S. military uh, and, and others. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. And, that, and, that's what I was finding out with with that's just with my my knowledge with the satellites, and then uh, um, uh, it, it was kind of crazy because one one of the people that they were going after was was the uh, the White House briefer. Um, I care. I think his name was McClellan or McKellen or, but they they were tapping on his stuff too. So and I assume that's because they didn't trust their own uh, their own press uh, uh, secretary. Um, so it was kind of interesting um, at that point. Then, then that's when that's when I went to my friends to find out well, what the hell is going on here and how bad is this. And that's when we found out it was really bad. Um, at that point, so, de so define really bad for us, if you okay, can. Really bad back then was they, they they didn't have the capacity at that time to do. We are you know now they they just collect everything on everybody. But back then they didn't have the capability. They didn't have the, the computer capability, they didn't have the ability to, to screen it all, so it was just it was just too big a you know bite. So then they started targeting uh, certain individuals. They targeted, um, uh, like I said, the the Joint Chiefs of Staff. They, then then when I was working with my my colleagues about that, we were finding out that they were going after law firms and lawyers, and they were going after, this is all domestically now, that means targeting, that means the data, metadata and word for word what was going on. They were going after key individuals in Congress, the armed services committees, the intelligence committees, the, 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 uh, the big eight in Congress. They had them all, all of them, everything, all their communications is computer and phone, not just them, but they were going after their spouses and their children, and uh, and and the little offices that they had off in Oregon, or you know, if each congressman has their own little offices in their in the, uh, their prospective states, they were going after all that. They were going after the press um, in bulk. Um, and they were uh, it was uh, they were the FISA court, the Supreme Court, the, every every Supreme Court member was being tapped. 
include in my hand. I would I would get these things. As a matter of fact, they were coming out of burn bags. Is where these guys drag them out of. And I saw all these numbers associated with with Justice Alito when he was about to be being considered for the Supreme Court. He wasn't even a justice yet, and so Samuel Alito was being tapped before he even got on the Supreme Court. And then there's this other guy. This uh, this this wannabe uh, senator who had won his primary in Illinois, and and you know we didn't know this guy's name. You know, it was a weird name, Barack uh, Obama. I'm like, who the hell is this guy? I don't know. <laughs> and that was that was in the summer of 2004 where they went after uh, President Obama. So you know, at that point, right. you know, so, not so even a... so you find you find that out. What do you do Correct. about it? Well. At this point, we knew this was huge. We knew this was really, really bad. Uh, NSA was already jerking me around because they knew I initially had found out what I'd found out, and they put me in the motor pool. And I, I was doing, I was making meetings with these folks. You know, I was doing all these uh, sleuthiest type things and, and meeting in parks in the middle of the night and and uh, having these little uh, dead drops and, and all the. The, the machination, because I had the, the FBI was on me at this point too, by the way. So I had to I had to shake the FBI, uh, make contacts. We had code words. We we made our own. We had a, we had a system where we we no electrons. We were did not communicate at all with phones or any any computers. Everything was done old fashioned style with dead drops, and we created our own codes. We used actually we used newspapers where we where we we did a system of numbered selected words off of newspapers. At this point, the NSA had created a whistleblower, in point of fact, because they had insulted well, you. Is... you. Well, let me finish very quickly. They had insulted you when you were asking just legitimate questions, and now suddenly there's an intramural, if you will, what would I call it, surveillance and spy operation within NSA about people who are concerned about what they're doing. Is that right? That's correct, and and these other folks are you know they've already got me in the motor pool. These other folks are very worried about their own careers. So they're willing to help me out with the knowledge, but you know they all have mortgage payments and kids in school and responsibilities. So they're you know basically I became the front man for this, um, and and I I tried to contact. I sent to my handler that they, this person this this woman Davini. Um, and she and I said to I need to talk to Kemp Answer, who was the head of security at Q Group at NSA, and she came back and said, oh, "He's not going to talk to you." And then at that point, I wasn't sure whether he even knew what was going on. He maybe didn't. He was probably told by Hayden, "Just go after this guy and persecute him." And he said, "Okay." So then I, I put in the request. I wanted to talk to Hayden himself, and that came back as denied. And I'm like, "Okay, well, um, they know they're doing. You know, they're, they're telling me that shut your mouth." And uh, pay your penance and grovel, and we'll let you have your your big time job back again. And it, that's when I had to make the choice. And ultimately, the catalyst was telling me to wipe snow off of a whole heap of cars in the motor pool, where I just snapped and said, "No, no, it's time." That's when I went you're, to the press. You're at that point a senior intelligence analyst. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. I'm thinking: is there a union, some sort of association that can represent you? Uh, was there then? Is there now? Well, uh, I I finally went to the IG. Now the problem with the IG is they weren't cleared for any of these things that were going on. So basically, uh, the way NSA came after me is they they said because I thought 
that this uh, young lady that I worked with may have been uh, may have been a Russian may have been a, a Chinese spy, and she showed all exhibited all the classic tales of someone who might be involved in espionage with a DIA uh, who was a DIA okay. employee, Defense Intelligence right. Agency, and um, right. and and I went to security at DIA. And right when I went to security and, and, and basically wrote up a thing on this, 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 this young lady's mother showed up, and her mother was a bigwig in the Democratic Party and had some high-powered uh, jobs in DOD. She showed up at DIA down at the DIAC at Fort Belvoir, I mean at um, Fort uh, uh, Bowling Air Force Base. And she wasn't supposed to be there. She didn't have the clearance, and yet somehow she got up to the office where, not, not in my, my vault, but into the, the, the main office uh, where my boss was, to, 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 and, and vehemently saying she needed to talk to her daughter, who was at a meeting at the Pentagon. So to me, that means the word got out to the mom that daughter is now being investigated, and, and this is mom coming to say, hey, we got a problem. This all, then the head of security. But was this involving you? This is what I don't understand. Forgive me. I don't understand sure. how that pertains to you. How's that your problem? This was this was the avenue that they, they ultimately came at me and said that I was crazy because I thought a colleague might be involved in espionage. And they and nine months after my routine psyche vow, which I passed with flying colors, not quite flying colors, but I passed. <laughs> But uh, they said I'm a black and white thinker. But nonetheless, they said, now now you're paranoid crazy because you think uh, a fellow employee. Russ, I've got to stop you there. We're taking a quick break. We're talking with Russ Tice, former senior NSA intel analyst and whistleblower. We'll find out what's going on with his colleagues and whether or not there was a Chinese spy ring operating within NSA when we come right back after these quick messages from our sponsors. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We're back now with Russ Tice. And Russ, I've, I've got to get back to your story about the mother of your colleague at the agency. What happened after she showed up or where she wasn't even supposed to be able to gain entry? Well, yeah, that happened. Um, and then and, and I get word because I'm in this special vault, in the, in the SAP vault, uh, where we have all the super classified stuff. And um one of my colleagues came from over the office side where my boss had his nice uh, office that overlooked the airport in the Potomac River and, and the Pentagon yes. and said, you wouldn't believe this, but her mom just showed up here and is talking to our boss um, and, and, and demands to, to see her. And she's not even here. She's at the Pentagon at a meeting. And I'm like, so I called, I called, I immediately called the, uh, the head of security at DIA, the counterintelligence head. And I said, you won't believe this, but her mom is here right now. He goes, you're kidding. I said, yeah. So 
then, then that was it. And then, then he told me a couple of days later that he said, "This is a big deal, and this is a, we're doing an investigation." And then about a week and a half after that, or maybe two weeks, I called and said to the, the counterintelligence head at DIA, I said, well, what's going on? He goes, the entire investigation has been dropped. And I said, what? He goes, yeah, um, there's nothing there. And I said, really? He goes, the official word is there's nothing there, and that's it. And I'm like dumbfounded at this point. <laughs> like. You're kidding me. So you, well, had you told somebody that she was under investigation? They told me that she was under investigation, especially after I, I called uh, and told them that the mother had showed up, uh, had shown up at the right. uh, our so, office and where she shouldn't have been. So how did, that, how did that play in any way into your, your problems as a whistleblower and getting ready to make your decision about your life, uh, a life-altering uh, uh, change of direction? So, so what they're doing is they're looking for some some reason to pin on me to to, to take my clearance or at least um, uh, for a period of uh, a penance. So, so what they did, I was in the office amidst all this stuff, getting ready for war and finding out that NSA was spying on all these people, Congress and the Supreme Court and the FISA Court and, and and all these you know folks in our own government. And they came out, and oh, that's a, right about the time where there was two FBI agents. One, his name was Cleveland, and I think the other was Jones or Smith or something like that. Well, both of them were sleeping with a Chinese spy and giving the Chinese spy classified information. These two okay. FBI agents. Sorry, Russ. Russ, I got to tell you, this thing, this story is getting bigger and bigger by the moment. Uh, it, it's spreading out. So you got two FBI agents, and I'm going to assume those are their real names, Clarence and Smith. Where did they come from, and how do you know they're sleeping with a Chinese spy who apparently isn't under investigation? Well, well, this I think his name was Cleveland and Smith. Well, it, it came Cleveland, out in the press. They got they they got caught. So it comes out in the press. These two FBI guys are are, are um, you know banging around with this, the same young lady, and apparently they didn't know that they were sleeping with the same girl and been giving up information. But um, so, so I contacted um, the security office at, at uh, the same counterintelligence guy at DIA and said, and said, you know what just happened with the FBI clowns that, that are, that are uh, you know, dropping around with the, the Chinese spy? Um, I, I said, now you're going to tell me? That, that there was nothing, to, that there was no investigation, you know, that you, you couldn't find anything. So and basically I said, I said, the FBI cannot be uh, trusted to do counterintelligence investigations because ultimately the counterintelligence guy uh, at DIA was working with the FBI. It's uh, this investigation, they just got tossed in the can even before it really got off the ground. So he was like, hey, you know, I just do what I'm told. You know, I, that's, that's the way it is. So right after that happened, and that was right about the time that I was contacting the same units about fi and finding out that the NSA was domestically spying on all these important people and, and doing all the, the, the metadata on pretty much everybody. And that, so that was, I think, their their their. And under what program like, was that? Under what program was that, Russ? Well, they ultimately called it the TSP, the Terrorist Surveillance Program. Um, and ironically, there was no such thing as the terrorist surveillance program. It didn't exist. They they made that name up just so that the uh, to make it sound like for the for the public for the public that oh my goodness, uh, 
you know, terrorist surveillance program. You know, we got to find those uh, those terrorists. But uh, it was uh, actually Stellar Wind was the umbrella name wow. of what was going on. Right. Uh, of which right. of which there was a whole lot of subcategory of the programs underneath the the big umbrella of Stellar Wind. Well, you know, we're going to have to we're going to have to call another uh, cliffhanger here. Uh, you know, let's pick this up uh, next week. What do you think about that? But where we're headed is toward your decision to actually go to Congress, right? Correct. Yeah. See that that happened after after it. Had, well, I was I was in contact with the New York Times, and um, and that's a, that's a whole other story in itself. Just just dealing with that. Right. And and my folks, in the, the, nothing's happening. I know they have they have the correct information, but it's not coming out in, in the press. And uh, matter of fact, I was even I called Bill Gertz, uh, a reporter in national security, and I said, "Bill, I got this huge story for you." And he goes, oh, "I'm too busy. I got I'm, I'm on the deadline to write this book, which is ironically I think was about China." But um, I, I said, "It's a pretty big story." And he goes, "Well, you know," I, I, he goes, "Will I hear about it?" I said, "You're going to hear about it soon." So then I contacted this young lady. Um, I think her name was Rebecca Carr that I talked to. Her husband worked for the Chicago Tribune, and he was a national security correspondent. So I was going to try to get and in touch she, with her she, husband. She, and she worked for who? She worked for whom? I think she worked for McClatchy, um, but I, I'd have to double okay. check on that. But her name was Rebecca Carr, and I, I was trying to get her husband. And right about that time, when I was in the process of pinning pinning her and, and her husband down, um, that's that's when it finally hit the press, and and it, and that was in like December of. Uh, December sixteenth of uh, of two thousand five, but um, but ironically, what came out in the in in the the uh, that initial well, article about give, domestic spying? Don't don't give away anything. We're going to pick that up next week <laughs> when we talk with okay, Russ Times as we conclude before taking up next week. What do you think the odds are that the Chinese would have infiltrated? Our intelligence agencies. Well, you got to realize that at DIA, I worked in an office that dealt with these super secret SAP programs, special access programs. And this young lady, mm -hmm. this uh, this uh, of Chinese uh, uh, origin, um, she worked in that office too. And she was very young. And to me, she's you know normally when you get a job in an office like that, it's it, you've already been in the intelligence community for a while and you've proven yourself. So so you're sort of like like the creme de la creme. Of, of the intelligence analyst and of the, and the officers in the world before you can get to that position. And I always thought she was kind of young. She went to Georgetown and she'd only been out of school for just a couple of years and with her bachelor's at Georgetown. And, um, and she would, she would ask a lot of questions that was they were not in her lane and she stayed late into the evenings. All these things are, are, you know, indicative of someone who's involved. She, she vehemently uh, did not want the United States to be involved in supporting Taiwan in any way. Um, so these are all, and she, she lived a very, her clothing was very expensive. She drove an expensive car. She lived an expensive uh, lifestyle. Um, and her, her, her military, her government grade salary did not warrant such a, such a, um, a living um, expenses. So, uh, these were all things that, that ultimately I said to myself, there's something going on here. Thanks, as always, to Russ Tice for his insight. I hope you'll be with us for our next talks with Russ. We always learn something. Tomorrow, our guest is Mike McCormick, White House stenographer for some 20 years. 
And Mike says he witnessed Biden corruption up close and personal. And he has a few thoughts about President Obama as well. Please join us tomorrow. It's a fascinating story or stories. And why won't the FBI listen to him? I said it's fascinating, didn't I? Please be with us tomorrow. Till then, thank you and God bless you.